Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Them Damn Indids. I'm Kelly, and with me, of course, one of my favorite damn Indids of all time, Miss Jaisha Lyons Echo Hawk. How are you, Jaisha? Uh, Stungo, I'm good. Uh, Noah, to you because you're Pawnee. Hey. Noah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm here. I'm, um, uh, you know, it's a good day. Uh, feeling pretty good. I just had my teeth cleaned. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's always Crazy. a good day when you I, got that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, I got a little pep in my step. <laughs> good deal. Well, you yeah. never Thank stop. Thank you for having you. me. Thank you. Well, you never stop. You never slow down. And I know now, now you are looking to serve your people and running for the assistant chief for the Seminole Nation. Yeah, uh, yes, I am relentless. A One of my friends told me I'm like an arrow. Just once I shoot out, I just kind of go, go, go. And sometimes I pierce things. I don't know if that's good or bad <laughs> until I stop. So yeah, I'm like in that mode right now. Um, I'm an enrolled Seminole tribal member. I'm also Pawnee, as you know, in Creek, Omaha, and Iowa. Um, but as an enrolled member of the Seminole Nation, I'm looking to serve my nation in the second top position of our government, which is assistant chief. Now, let's talk a little bit <clears throat> about that, because I know that a lot of people don't really understand what that vice or that assistant or what that second in command does. So let's talk a little bit about that position itself. For sure. Um, I honestly feel like a lot of our people <laughs> um, enrolled Seminoles don't know <laughs> what that position does. We have a small little blurb about it in our constitution, which is basically the assistant chief serves in support of the principal chief. And in the event that the principal chief is not able to attend to their duties, whether that's like meetings or um, holding the need to be the tiebreaker in a council vote, um, that's when the assistant chief is to show up. And then, God forbid, you know, any of our principal chiefs pass, then the assistant chief steps in charge in place of the principal chief to serve out their remainder of their term. However, in in existence as it is today, um, that's something that I myself, as somebody who is a tribal member, has just been wondering in terms of the leadership of our tribe in the communication um, of the aid and all the things that are impacting our tribes during the pandemic. Um, even just the ongoing issues that we've long had within the Seminole Nation, the concerns and the needs of the community members, you know, uh, been wondering how some of these, um, you know, top levels have been able to, to serve our community. Like, where are they at? What are they doing? <laughs> how are they responding to the people? Um, because, as you know, um, I've been civically engaged for, I would say, the whole duration of my life. I've been a good troublemaker, somebody who has often pushed back against, um, you know, things that serve as barriers or wondering why things are in the in the procedures or protocols as we know them, you know, if they're being inequitable or they're unfair or unjust you know, then why do we continue in those practices? And so within our administration, um, 
I want to utilize my abilities as somebody who does a lot of community outreach, who does a lot of advocacy, who has worked with legislators, um, tribal and non-tribal, um, even um, has connections, A, if you will. You know, I've, I've shook the Secretary Holland's hand a few times, <laughs> sat with her at dinner once, um, and uh, would like to, you know, use my experience, my education um, to help further communication and trust building within my nation, as well as um, be a spark for opening up the lines of communication so we can better address the needs and concerns of the Seminole Nation, especially as we're, you know, somewhat navigating ourselves out of the pandemic and having to deal with, you know, the impacts of that and all this federal aid that's coming through and even you know with the supreme court rulings like helping translate what it means to our to our people i mean the ban reps our legislators are those you know conduits if you will but if they don't even understand what some of this information is or what the executive office is doing you know somebody needs to be able to communicate and as you know i'm not somebody who is um afraid to speak to people I am naturally an extroverted extroverted introvert. <laughs> so that just means I know how to communicate if I need to for the public. However, I, I do not necessarily like to be in the public eye or the spotlight, but if it's going to better my community, you know, if it's going to have great impact on the quality of our lives, then by all means, I will be on the front lines as we need to be. Let's talk about some of those concerns that you see as a Seminole Nation citizen that encouraged you to run for office. What was that thing that that because there's always that thing that happens that says, you know what, I'm going to run for office now. What 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 factored into your decision that way? There's so many um, nearly 70 to 80 percent of our nation actually resides outside the tribal jurisdiction. So that's a small 20 to 30 percent that resides within the jurisdiction itself. And as somebody who has lived outside that, you know, small, and we have a really small land base, but has lived outside that land base all their lives, there's only so much resources that I've been able to touch via, you know, directly from the Seminole Nation. A lot of times it's been because I'm a federally recognized tribal member or it's been of you know these other um, tribes that I belong to, but I'm not exactly an enrolled member um, that has helped you know support me in some form or fashion. Um, I'm not ungrateful, but I I know there's more that we could do. With that, as somebody who is you know identifies as a woman, a femme, um, somebody who has seen the struggle of single parenthood um, growing up and in my own home at times, um, you know, it's hard to be a, a single parent, to be a mother and then to be a native mother and trying to provide for your family, you know, to be these strong matriarchs. We're, we're called resilient and to me, these ways that we shouldn't have to, you know, be resilient from or to, you know, a lot of the struggle has been implemented or put upon us for you know for generations and we're just having to come through that in some form or fashion and so like knowing these numbers seeing firsthand experience of the stigma stigmatizations of um of poverty of of circumstances um you know it, it just seems to be so ingrained sometimes in our tribal nations that our people just 
you know, they just need to step up. They just, you know, we don't need to give them handouts. And I'm thinking, well, do you understand that these aren't handouts anyway? These are entitled to us because of treaties. <laughs> do you understand treaties? So it's just, you know, a lot of um, uh, lived experience, a lot of what are our leaders telling us about what is owed to us? Do they even understand what the, you know, what it, you know, if what is it a treaty that's, you know, the reason why we get this kind of funding or money or, you know, um, what could we be doing better? And then the, the highlight for me was um, honestly was back in 2020. Um, yes, the pandemic and also some of the outreach work that I was already doing. I um, was doing census work last year. And of course, many of us were like struggling to figure out how do we reach the masses on something that is so hard to understand in some ways. And, um, and for communities that don't have a very you know, good rapport with the government, how are we gonna convince them to get counted? And so in my position, I was working this, this uh, statewide effort and able to attend some of our state central committee meetings and people were just wondering where some of these tribal nations were. I think of the 39 tribal jurisdictions, we only had like seven tribes that had their own complete count committees. And, you know, I tried to get our mutual tribe here at Pawnee to, you know, help. Um, you know, I was able to make contact with the communications department and that's how I was able to lift it up here. Um, but I did the same thing for Seminole Nation and I wasn't getting a lot of feedback or response. All the people that I tried to contact who I thought would be contacts were not or wouldn't call me back or I leave a message. <laughs> yeah, just all the same. And I know that's been a long-standing problem for tribal members anyway, trying to get government services or the services that they're entitled to as tribal members. Um, and I was like, we're gonna miss out. We're gonna miss out in the formulations for so much federal aid, including the CARES Act, because that was also, the census count was also included in some of this initial disbursement. And I, and that for me was really frustrating as a tribal member and as somebody on the end with some of this important work, like where's our people, where's our leadership? Why aren't they calling me back, you know? Um, and it just like kind of went over me like, okay, well, you know, there's this. And there's this pandemic with the distribution of the aid, the distribution of information. How are we best utilizing our departments? Um, it just, it was not uh, efficient and effective in a way that really needed to, to serve the people. And I know I have been in contact with some um, longstanding native organizations such as NCAI for wondering, do you guys have a toolkit <laughs> for tribes to understand how they, yeah, how they can communicate what this means for the people? Because maybe these tribal leaders are just, don't even know how to translate it themselves. Cause you know, not everybody's communication is their, their best asset. Everybody has their you know, own strength. And so that was also part of my, um, my uh, decision-making. And finally, I have been in the same, I, I can't remember if you're in the same program. Did you do the MLS program at OU, Indigenous People's Law? No. Oh, okay. No, no, okay. no. I, I, I just, I went for my bachelor's degree. I have a bachelor's in criminal justice there, but I haven't done oh, any okay. master's work, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I um, got into uh, almost with the, um, the, the weight of the McGirt ruling um, upon us uh, and trying to understand I had the the means and the time to to get into that program. Um, so I'm currently a grad student at the University nice. of OU's yes Yay. College of Law, and so it's a legal scholar in federal Indian uh, 
law and policy. And that program, um, per these uh, these doctors, these attorneys who developed it, was to help folks who work in tribal government or tribal administration better understand federal Indian law and policy in a way that not a lot of our people have access to. You know, to make us um, more articulate. You know, uh, not even articulate, but more informed about um, these decisions and long-standing court cases and even the origin of some of this stuff. Um, and so that really, all of that together was just real big motivation. That, and I had several um, folks reach out to me about running. Um, they had been talking to me probably uh, since I lost my house district race in 2018, but it just, yeah, there was just little pushes here and there, especially over this last year and a half that um, really brought me to a head with like, okay, yes, I hear you, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. And there, I, you hit on a couple of really big ticket items that I think is it's a it's pervasive across Indian country. And number one is the jurisdictional boundary issue. And as as a as a tribal citizen who who does not live anywhere near that that very small land base that we claim as our tribal jurisdiction there is so much that i get left out from just because of that and i'm not talking about just cares act money i'm talking about i'm talking about programs overall for instance they built a brand new gym they're charging a membership but in the grand scheme of things and, and if you look at your tribal members as a whole, how does that benefit me and the other, you know, 10 Pawnees that live west of I-35, you know, we're not coming over there to work out, you know? And so it, it's those little things like that. However, with the census, that's where we outsiders, we still get counted if, if, we, if, we, if we participate we get counted and that's how our tribes receive their federal funding. And so that's the thing that I don't think that tribal members understand. And that's another thing that you hit on is understanding these policies, understanding why we want you to fill out the census. It's not just so the government can, can count you, it's so your tribal government can count you and get, that, get those federal dollars. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, to me, just, there's so many areas that we're not quite touching that especially that come up that would, yes, again, have lasting impact. You know, for me, I, I'm trying to think in generations. I'm trying to be mindful of those roots that I have, you know, those foundations that I come from, all these strong matriarchs, especially because both, you know, the Seminoles and the Pawnees are matriarchal matrilineal and recognizing the influence there as somebody who is an up and coming matriarch for the decision-making of today, but thinking about those littles that I'm in charge of, right? Not just the ones that I've birthed, but all around me, my, my Tiwats, if you will, my nieces and my nephews. Um, what is the life, you know, we're all living on borrowed land, right? Like borrowed time, you know, that this time we're doing today is for them tomorrow and invite, you know, and so on and so forth. And it just, I knew like what I had been hearing when I was talking to such organizations as NCAI that there was, um, a lot of tribal governments that did not have the infrastructure to truly think out how to serve the, the nations, you know, with this COVID money coming through, like the planning just wasn't there or the, um, the understanding of it just wasn't there. 
and you know and I have some knowledge some experience you know and I'm also not somebody who is just gonna sit there and you know look pretty like I will do the work I've always done the work I don't know how else not to do the work of of making sure I understand something so that I can communicate that to those folks that I um, might be responsible for so if yeah if I'm gonna serve on behalf of a nation especially at such a top level then I have a obligation like ethical moral spiritual cultural to respond to the people that put me there um to earn not this their you know that salary but their faith and their trust and that i am doing the things that they need me to do today but that's also preparing us for tomorrow and that's a really important way to look at that is public service because I mean, and, and we see it, we see it all across tribal in, in Indian country, in, in tribal government. It's not just your tribe. It's not just my tribe. It's not our shared tribes. It's not our, our, our tribes that we are, that we don't share, you know, it's, it's in, it's all across Indian country. And that is that public servant attitude that you know, well, I have the most family members, so I can get in and make X amount of dollars a year and barely show up and not even know anything, not even know our own constitution, right? The, th the thing by which I'm supposed to be governing everyone, I've never even read it. Why, you know, and so we do need leaders that are informed and educated and, and want to want to make their their tribal members informed about such things because i think that there is a we still have that culture of silence we still have mm -hmm. that culture of we don't want any outsiders interfering especially the inner especially the federal government kind of kind of attitude and so how are you going to push your tribe forward in in that sense with our our, our historical trauma with the federal government and being able to to serve in, in that role as as your as our counterpart to the federal government at the highest level right so you know i have a I have a small platform that i've shared um that uh talks about economic and community development and for me that is addressing such issues as that culture of silence that we've been so ingrained in um you know, I think in addition to financial prosperity, our development should focus on, you know, advancing our culture, our people in our community. Um, and that, you know, is looking beyond just like, you know, tribal language programs. I mean, of course we need sustainable funding for those programs. And if we are at emergency level, then let's call, you know, national emergency for our language. But to me, more importantly, especially with the discovery of some of these mass graves of relatives that were not yet to be you know um i'm a descendant um one generation two generations removed my uh, jaboji my grandma um was a boarding school survivor and she spoke very plainly about her experiences she um i know that she had a severity to her that um like her children experienced that as grandchildren we didn't at least i didn't you know um, she was very caring and loving and, and she shared so much of herself, you know, it wasn't just the language she shared, it was just her, her tenacity, her, her wisdom, her, her love, her beauty, 
and you know with that she would just open up at times um and I don't know if you know I've never really talked to my cousins about this but I know for sure like I was always all ears you know listening to her share about the nuns and some of the priests and um she didn't go into all these details but she shared enough for me to yeah to shake me um in such a way like she didn't tell me what to do with it she didn't say you need to do this now you need to do that it was just for me information to take in and understand where my grandma was coming from, her context and why, you know, the things that she did and how they impacted, you know, her children and how that has carried on. And it wasn't just her, you know, it's so many other relatives, but yeah, striking at the root of these issues that persist today and advocating, honestly, for me, I've advocated this at our state's level. I've talked to a couple legislators. I've even talked to a former um, nonprofit organization that does policy research and, you know, like um, data, data stuff, um, as well as um, talking to some folks um, in my network that have connections to universities like OU and OSU to look at how we could um, advocate for more research and analysis on the ongoing effects of intergenerational trauma related to these boarding school policies. Because, you know, as somebody who has worked on the backside of Ida's law and other MMIP legislation, you know, we, some of us were behind the scenes back in 2018, 2019, when um, Rep. Dollins tapped us, you know, to, to help with the language and to help make some of these connections to these families or to even other legislators across state lines. Like I had hit people up in Arizona and in Montana, even in Washington to get a look at what they have done and how, how that could help shape some of what we were trying to do. But for me, I also was like, we are doing very reactive legislation and that's not unnecessary. However, that's with the idea that we're gonna have more members being hurt or being murdered, you know, taken unnecessarily. And I want to get at the root. What's this proactive side? What's economic justice look like? What's housing security look like? What are the root causes of some of this, um, you know, mental health issues? or maybe even people using substances, um, like misusing them. Uh, some people call it abusing them. Um, I'm not exactly sure the, the correct terminology right now, but just having issues with substances in a way that impairs them from being able to live their fullest selves, right? And, you know, it's gone on deaf ears right now. Um, I've even contacted other congressional representation and I feel like I've seen something come out from Washington kind of related to looking at this um, crisis in our nation, in our tribal nations because of government policy. Um, but yeah, this precedes the discovery of these mass graves just a few weeks ago. And so that is what I'd like to bring to the table, if you will, that I have not seen my tribal nation do, nor have I seen any of these other tribal nations, to be perfectly honest. I'm not going to say I'm the most informed of everybody's tribal, you know, um, policies and resolutions. I just still to this haven't haven't seen. And Oklahoma was like, I think the state with the most boarding schools. I don't know if that's like per capita or just like by the state. But yeah, we so we've had, you know, ongoing consequences to this day that we have yet to address. And I do think that's the uh, part of the division and the lateral violence within our tribal communities. You know, why we do get folks that just kind of, um, I don't know, think they should just serve and then they get so-called, you know, elected because of maybe just the right kind of family numbers to put them in. But then, you know, 
they just don't know how to name things the way they need to. And um, yeah, and they take things real personally. But I think sometimes those might be trauma responses that just aren't unaddressed. That's a that's a great way to look at that. And and especially I like especially what you said about uh, reactive legislation, man, if there's one thing that tribes have completely uh, taken from the model of our federal government is that reactive legislation. And and you're right, we really need to to look at that from a proactive lens and understand where we are. Okay, folks, we are here with Jaysha Lyons Echohawk. She's running for the Assistant Chief of the Seminole Nation. And so get out there and vote on July 10th, right? Yes, July 10th. And so, okay, and so do, how, do, how do Seminole people vote? Like, do they have absentee ballots? Do they, like, like, like tell, me how, tell me how they vote. Tell me how y'all do it. Sure thing. I have to pull up my notes here. So... Um, yes, we do absentee. We also do in-person voting and our um, like polling places are open. So you don't have to be registered. Um, we don't do a registration process anymore. So as long as you're 18 by July 10th, you can totally vote in person. That and also the caveat that you're an enrolled Seminole tribal member. Um, you only need a government a picture, government ID. So it could be your tribal uh, ID with the picture could be state driver's license, could be a passport, could be a military ID. As long as they have a picture and their government um, ID, you can take those to any of the five polling places we have. So the five places are located in um, Sasakwa at the Sasakwa Community Building, um, the Strother Community Building in Seminole, at the North Community Building, which is where the Seminole uh, Nation Election Board is, at the Mission in Seminole. Um, in Oklahoma City, you can vote at the Crooked Oak Public Schools. And then in Shawnee, you can vote at the Shawnee Middle School. Um, we are posting the, this information on my Facebook page, Jaysha Lyons Echohawk for Seminole Nation Assistant Chief. Um, you can also find it at the Seminole Nation um, website, the government website. Uh, the polls open at 7 a.m. and they close at 7 p.m. Now, if you already requested your absentee ballot, because those requests ended on June 10th, uh, make sure you get that ballot back in a timely manner so that it can be counted on July 10th. So I would suggest you make sure it's there by July 5th, because we all know that the mail has been much slower than in recent years. So yeah, make sure your, your ballot is there. That is the last thing they count is the mail-in ballots. Okay, well, Jaysha, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. So with our last couple of minutes, I'm gonna let you speak directly to the people of the Seminole Nation and tell them why you want to represent them as their assistant chief. Yeah, for sure. So, Stungo, Jaysha Lyons Echohawk, Jahajaskados. Hello, everyone. My name is Jaysha Lyons Echohawk and I'm running to be the assistant chief for our great Seminole Nation of Oklahoma. Um, I am a passionate, fierce advocate for the people. Uh, I am somebody who is accountable to community and every facet that I've ever served in. Um, usually it's community outreach. However, I found myself in the halls of legislation as well. And so we need people that are going to respond to the citizens, that are going to respond to the needs and understand the needs. They're very 
um, many concerns that our tribe has had over the years and we need somebody who is going to not only address the, the needs but come up with solutions and put them into action. I don't just wanna show up to the tribe and sit in an office all day. I want you to know that I have a record and this is what I've done for you. You know, if we are serving the people, we should be able to immediately tell you what we've been able to do for you based on what you shared. And I know that as some of you are, um, I'm just like you who have had a voice that has not been heard, not been listened to, calls not returned. And that's something that is um, entirely problematic when we're dealing with a pandemic uh, or public health crises of that nature. We need our government to be open. We need it to respond. And we need to make sure we have procedures in place that are going to make sure that people are taken care of. And so I'm ready to take care of you. I'm ready to take our nation forward. I'm ready to serve the Seminole Nation as the Assistant Chief. So vote for Jaysha on July 10th. Mado. Yes, indeed. It's so exciting. And I got to tell you, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so proud that you still have that commitment to serve your people, not not just your own people, but but the people in across Indian country. And I greatly appreciate your service. And so Seminole Nation citizens, don't forget July 10th, you've got five different places that you can get out there and vote. Um, and you can also do that by absentee ballot. But you got to make sure that that's back there by election day to get counted. So um, and don't forget, it's July 4th weekend. So mail will just automatically be a little slower anyway. So get your ballots in, get your absentee ballots in. If you don't do that, get to one of your polling places, because that is one of the most important responsibilities we have as citizens is to make our voices heard through our votes. And so Seminole Nation citizens, make sure you cast your vote for Jaysha Lyons Echo Hawk for your assistant chief. Jaysha, thank you so much again. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks everyone. Stay tuned. We're indigenous, we're independent, and you know what? We're still them damn Indians at Talk Jive Radio.